Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. It is Friday, so very glad to have you with us. Credit where credit is due. We live in an era where we are, again, very divided. You've got Republicans, you've got Democrats, you've got liberals, you've got conservatives. You've got people who think that we should close the state down and not let anybody do anything for the next two years. You've got other people who think we should open up everything starting about an hour from now. All right, there seems like there's almost nothing we can agree on. We live in an era where we're not allowed to assemble in our places of worship because, again, I guess we, we can't be trusted to social distance and things like that. So you have an Easter like no others. Well, let's give the Green Bay Packers some credit. First of all, there was a moment last night where I, I think there was, thanks to the Packers, there was a return to religion. Because my guess is, when the Packers announced that they had traded up to pick a quarterback, we had a moment where... I would say thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe more of Packers fans all across the world looked to the heavens and said something to the effect of, oh my God, they have brought religion back to us. And and that's what the Packers ended up doing. They have united us because I think most people look and, well, I sent out a tweet last night. You can follow me, by the way, at Jeff Wagner 620. And my question was, wait, I, I, let me get this straight. You, you need an inside linebacker, you need offensive tackles, you desperately need a wide receiver, all of whom were still on the board when you traded up and you passed on all of those and you picked a quarterback who might not play if he plays at all for three years. Huh. Interesting, interesting call. And, um, again, I, my, my question was, simply put, was somebody high? But I, I, and I understand there's some people saying, oh, maybe this is going to be great. Maybe this is going to work out. I guess, you know, who, who knows what the future is going to bring. But for, I don't know, Packers fans who were, you know, hoping that maybe there'd be, I don't know, one of these huge gaps that got filled with your first round pick. And maybe what we need to do is figure out how to take advantage of the, the next couple years where Aaron Rodgers is still hopefully going to be performing at a premier level. Uh, instead of saying, okay, what might the future look like four years from now? I think a lot of people were, were disappointed. I guess it, uh, I'll let the sports guys discuss it in detail. Like I say, I, my, my reaction was, I think what a lot of people's reaction was, was just to kind of look to the heavens, invoke the name of the deity, shake our heads, and then kind of move on. All right, we have a lot of stuff to talk about on today's program, some serious stuff, and as we typically do on Friday, some lighter stuff as well. One of the, the challenges, and look, it's no secret that, that I think the mistake that we are making in Wisconsin is this one-size-fits-all approach 
to getting back to normal. It's one of the things that is frustrating to me every time I, I hear the, the governor's quotation where he says, well, I'm following the, I'm following the rules that, that Donald Trump set down. So if Republicans don't like that, they should take it up with, Don, with President Trump. No, he's not. That, that's just not a true statement because the president's guidelines clearly allow for states to reopen by regions or by counties, recognizing specifically, by the way, in the guidelines, that there's a difference between what the impact of COVID-19 in, say, a densely populated urban area versus, say, a more remote area, which is why governors, even in hard-hit states like New York, are now saying, look, we're, we're going to reopen regionally because the problem we have in, in Buffalo, for example, is nowhere near the same as the problem that we have in New York City. And, and to me, that makes eminent sense, but it's a strategy that, that the governor of Wisconsin, for whatever reason, refuses to embrace, at least until up until this point. And by the way, I, I, I kind of started something last Saturday because I was really curious to see county by county what is the problem with COVID-19, and I did... Uh, just an analysis from one Saturday to the next. And, and as it turns out, 56 of the 72 Wisconsin counties had less than five, had five or less new examples of COVID-19. Uh, 62 of 72 had 10 or less. 25 had no new cases. And, and if you follow me on Twitter, I'll do that again. Uh, so watch for a new tweet to come out tomorrow, like around 2 o'clock or so, once the new numbers come out. Let's look at the week-to-week totals, county by county, statewide, and we'll compare them over two weeks, which I think illustrates you know, how, how safe it might be to start reopening. But in any event, one of the challenges that people have said is, well, okay, these Republicans are filing lawsuits challenging the governor, but they don't have any ideas. They're not saying what their plan is. All right, let me share with you an email that I received from one of our listeners. And it's only about three or four paragraphs. But I want to suggest, I want to read and share with you what she thinks. And then we're going to open up the phone lines and react. Here, here's the note. Good morning. Like all Americans, I am anxious to open our businesses at the local, state, and national level as quickly and safely as possible. I am suggesting a bottom-up approach. At the county level, Establish a department where local businesses can submit their plans for reopening, including accommodations for workers and customers to stay safe. Owners know their businesses better than anyone and have the most at stake in their success, which includes customer retention. No business wants to be responsible for the spreading of this or any virus, and I believe they've learned from this experience and will adjust their practices. Everyone is talking about bars and restaurants, but there are so many businesses without that large lobbying voice. The woman who owns the Pilates studio I attend could space the equipment, limit class size, and disinfect after every use. Using these strategies, she could reopen and save her business. Florists, dog groomers, yoga studios, jewelry stores, small retailers and manufacturers could all come up with individual plans to suit their individual practices. Give business owners something to do something to do to have some influence over their destiny. The government needs to trust them. It's their livelihood on the line after all. I believe the county level is the proper place to make these decisions. Local control. County government knows their area, the hospital capabilities, and will be able to review and approve the plans efficiently. I understand that there will be guidelines from the state, but this one-size-fits-all approach is frustrating. Overall, 
the letter continues, we will never be completely rid of viruses, COVID or otherwise, and it's best that we start living with them. Vulnerable populations will always have to take extra precautions. I have no problem with having my temperature checked and wearing a mask when I walk into a hospital, a daycare, senior housing, etc. We must, however, give the power back to the people. It's our choice how much risk we're willing to assume, hence the fools who bungee jump. We're listening to the science. We're using common sense. We need to be trusted to make our own decisions. Finally, who is on Governor Evers' advisory committee? If he's not listening to or discussing with the legislature, who he is he listening to, and does anyone on his committee have private sector experience? Since Governor Evers has been a public sector worker his entire career, I am concerned with the lack of private business experience and perspective. All right. And then, you know, thanks for your time. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So here's one of the listeners who, who comes up with this plan. They say, look, let, let's, let's localize this. Let's do it on a county-by-county basis. Now, I would argue maybe you could divide the state in, into regions, but, but you get the idea. And, and let's let the businesses submit the plans, and let's let the local officials make the decisions based on what's going on in their counties or their regions with regard to how prevalent COVID-19 is, with regard to how many tests there are, with regard to what the hospital capabilities are, and let them come up with plans. Seriously, the, the lady that runs the Pilates studio, all right, you know, Maybe she's able to come up with this plan that says, okay, I can't have a class of 20, but I've got space to have a class of 10. Shouldn't she be allowed to do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Makes a lot of sense to me. All right. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it make sense to you? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So I spent a couple minutes sharing an email um, I, I received from one of our listeners who, who says, look, here, here, here's the deal. It just makes so much sense to me. Let, let's, let's talk about getting back to work county by county. That was her idea. And I would say I might even expand it to do it regionally, but have business owners who are non-essential, who've been closed, have them have to submit plans. And, okay, this is what we are going to do. And then have the local officials who know what's going on in their particular areas make the decisions about whether or not, gee, reopening the Pilates studio um, with appropriate spacing in an area where there's been essentially no outbreak of COVID-19 and there's plenty of testing and there's plenty of hospital spaces, you, you let that open. Now, just to understand the frustrations I get, there's the first text that comes in. So your big plan is everybody does what they want. What a plan. Well, okay, don't be stupid. I mean, <laughs> I mean like, seriously, it's not, it's not everybody does what they want. It's that you decide to tailor the response and the reopening to what you what a different community or a region you know needs and the idea and even the governor of New York is coming to this conclusion the concerns about you know what's going on in Buffalo across the state from New York City are, are different why is that such a, a novel sort of concept and doesn't that make eminent sense 855-799-1620 Andy in Manitowoc Andy you're on WTMJ how are you doing, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I mean, the listener says, hey, let, let's let's do it county by county. Let's be smart about it. Right. 100% agree with the letter. And um, I have four kids, and three of them are college age. And I'll tell you something. 
we have all been reading unbelievably. It's just been a really nice time to become well-read. And up here in Manitowoc, we have a little bookstore, and I can't go in there, you know, to buy a book and support a, the local business. And I don't know that there's ever been more than a dozen people, half a dozen people in this little bookstore at one time. It just is mind-boggling to me that they can't, um, you know, allow people to go in and buy a book. They would be a boon to them economically, and it would keep a story that is loved right. going, and I don't know what's going to happen with them now. Well, well, right, and, and and you could, I mean, for, let's take the example of that bookstore. I mean, I don't know how many square feet, feet are in the little bookstore, but but you're right. You could say, all right, we're we're not going to allow more than four people in the bookstore at, at any given time, and, and and then you're all set. And is the chances of somebody picking up COVID nineteen by going into that little bookstore with the appropriate limitations is it really any greater than somebody going over to Costco or going to Walmart or going to the hardware store or, or oh going my gosh. wherever? Yeah, right. I think right. Right. I you're, think we've got nine cases. There's each thousand people in Manitowoc. I think there's nine confirmed cases. And I, I did, unfortunately, go to Walmart once in the last couple of weeks. I had to get something. And, you know, there's tons of people in there. Yeah. It just, I, yeah, it just blows my mind. No, no, thanks for the call. And again, I, I, I see, I'm not, thanks for, I'm not, I'm not one of these coronavirus deniers. And I understand you, you've got areas of the state where you have, it, they're just different concerns that, that are out there. And again, you, you have to be smart. Okay, for example, you know, the, the numbers in Brown County were very low, and then you had this huge outbreak at one of the meatpacking plants, and so those numbers have gone up. All right, well, so maybe that means for people in Brown County, well, you, you have to continue the restrictions longer, or you have to look at, at you know, putting them back into place. But uh, the idea that, again, and, and just... You see, when you kind of like think about it, in your example, Andy, you've got the small bookstore that's never going to have more than a couple people in it. You allow them, okay, this is what our plan is. Our plan is that we're not going to have more than four people in at a given time. Now, maybe it's going to be that they, it doesn't make any sense to open up if there's that few people. But but the chances of somebody coming in and spreading the disease are, are so comparatively remote because that same person is probably, after they go to the bookstore, they're going to be going to the Walmart or they're going to be going to the the gas station. They're be touching the, the gas pump. By keeping that business closed, you're really not accomplishing anything. At least it seems to me. And again, why why can't we be smart about this? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Dennis in Wausau. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, I'm heading up to my cabin in northern uh, Wisconsin and every third car I pass on Highway 39 is from Illinois. So if Evers wants to do something like President Trump, why don't we close off the Chicago border or Illinois border so these people can't spread the germs in Wisconsin? I, you know, see, that that's the problem, too, with, with looking at it by on a state-by-state basis, because your, your point is exactly right. It's a lot closer. Chicago to Milwaukee is a lot closer geographically than Milwaukee to, like, Eau Claire. So, I mean, what... What, at what point in time are, are we going to do it? Are we going to be? Are we going to keep Wisconsin closed down in general? Because to your point, somebody from Chicago might decide to drive across state lines. At some point in time, don't we have to put 
the responsibility for making these decisions in the hands of the communities and the businesses. Require them to come up with plans and follow them. Uh, I, I, th- thanks for the call. No, I, I mean it, it's it is it's this regional concern that that is that, that is out there, and you have to be flexible because if all of a sudden you have this huge outbreak in a particular area that hasn't happened yet, and you start to see it looks like a, a surge, okay, well then maybe you need to uh, again maybe you need to tighten stuff in a particular area. But this is, to me, a classic example of where local control is one of the things that would be appropriate. Um, Jeff, okay, so what about all the people that work in Illinois? Well, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, but they're coming up here anyways. And, and the argument that, well, okay, you know, you could go into the florist shop and somebody could spread it. Well, okay, that, that same person, like I say, that's gone into the florist shop, chances are that they've gone to, you know, a half dozen other businesses that have already been open. So are you really making things any safer? Um, Jeff, good plan. If you want to go out, go out. If you don't, stay home. Um, yeah, I, but I guess that these people who are going out would also be going to the, the grocery store. Jeff, I agree 100% with your listeners' suggestions to start at the local level. How do we get the governor to listen? I've written to my legislators, but no response. Well, the challenge is nobody has a plan. Well, I think maybe there, there is a plan that's out there. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Hey, there are heroes among us who run towards danger rather than away from it. We call them first responders. WTMJ is partnering with Waterstone Bank, General Communications, and the Packing House to honor police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families and our loved ones. If you know of a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties, go to WTMJ.com. I believe this is the third year for this. It's Steve Scafidi's Salute to Service on WTMJ. We would love to have you nominate someone for recognition, so be sure to check that out all right even when we reopen stuff it doesn't mean that businesses have to reopen and as a matter of fact one of the decisions that a lot of businesses are going to make is does it make sense to reopen right away given the mindset of people now for example uh yesterday or two days ago um, amtrak announced that they were canceling all the Hiawatha service, that's the train that runs back and forth between Milwaukee and Chicago. Right Now, when they announced that they were canceling all the trains, it, it wasn't because the government was forcing them to, to shut down the, the train routes. It wasn't that President Trump or Governor Evers was saying, okay, you, you can't operate the trains. They made the decision to shut down the trains because nobody was riding them. It just that was that was the reality. I mean, the, the you know the Hiawatha service is is primarily it's business people commuting back and forth to Chicago, um, or particularly like on the weekends and stuff, it's people going down there for leisure activities. Well, all right, there, there's nothing to do in downtown Chicago. The, the theaters are all closed. The shopping districts are all closed. Um, in Milwaukee, most of the downtown hotels are closed. So there, there's no. There's, there's no going back and, and forth. There's no traffic. And so what they've done is they've just made the decision, not from health reasons, but from business reasons, that it just it doesn't make sense to run you know empty trains back and forth. So what they're doing is they're saying, okay, anybody that wants to go back and forth from Chicago, we're going to have them you know, walk uh, half a block down and we're going to have them take the bus. 
buses are, are still operating. But that's a business decision that they are making. Similarly, there are at least a handful of states that have decided that they are they're essentially going to reopen you know and and you know you've you've heard the stories uh, you know Georgia governor of Georgia is is allowing businesses to reopen Tennessee is moving in that direction and uh, you know a handful of other states as well South Carolina as well and the, the governors are saying we want to we're going to allow businesses to reopen well there, there's nothing though magic about just because you're allowed to reopen doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to do that and the story that I, I'm looking at is that um, a number of big retailers um, Macy's JC Penney Best Buy and a number of other ones are saying we're even if we can reopen even if if we're allowed to reopen in Georgia or we're allowed to reopen in South Carolina we're, we're not going to do it because we don't think that the business that that people are ready to come back and go into big department stores and, and shop and there are also considerations is hey if in order to reopen we've got to dramatically limit the number of people who can come into the store well okay we're we're not we're not going to do it it's just we don't think that we can make money it doesn't make sense to turn on the lights and bring a workforce back if we can only have a, a third as many shoppers and, and you know best buy is the same way best buy is open matter of fact i was um in uh, fox point just driving through Fox Point yesterday, there's a Best Buy store in River Point Shopping Center, and they had cars lined up there. And there were a number of people who had apparently ordered stuff, and they were picking up curbside. So their, their Best Buy was open, but you couldn't go in and you, you couldn't engage in the shopping. All right, so we've got a lot of retailers around here. You know, you've got the Macy's. Kohl's has been shut for for a while, and there, there's been you know furloughs of employees and things like that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, this is this is independent of any orders that, that's coming from, you know, the, the folks in Madison. This this is on, on the basic local level, you, me, and how we react to things. So here is my question. If a number of the area businesses, the, the Macy's, the Coles, if these department stores started to reopen, would you patronize them? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we're, we're, going to, we're going to Walmart. We're going to Costco. You know, we're going to Target, you know, right now. And, and those businesses all have certain restrictions on the number of people can come in at any one given time. But, you know, we are, we are shopping at big box retailers right now. If more were to open up, if Kohl's were to open up, if Macy's were to open up, if J.C. Penney's were to open up, or any of these these other sort of businesses, these, these type of chains, now we're not talking about the local florist or the local jewelry store or the tiny bookstore in Manitowoc that we were discussing in the first segment of the program, but if more and more of these department store type of places were to open up, are you ready to go back to them? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you willing to patronize them? Where is your mindset on this issue? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. From my perspective, if I'm willing to go into a Target or I'm willing to go into a Costco or I'm willing to go into, you know, fill, fill in the blank, um, you know, a Walmart, I guess I'm not going to have any hesitation going into a, a Kohl's or a Macy's or something like that. But that's just me. 
How would you feel? 855-616-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Amtrak shut down the route between Milwaukee and Chicago, and because they they just made the decision, not enough people were riding it. So, from a business perspective, it doesn't matter that we're allowed to stay in business. It just doesn't make any sense to to run the trains when nobody is on it. In a number of states that are starting to open up, that are ahead of say Wisconsin. You, you have particularly large retailers, some of the big chains, who are saying, hey, it doesn't, even, it doesn't matter. Even if we're allowed to be open, we're not going to be open, or at least at this point in time, because we don't think there's going to be enough interest. We don't think that people are going to be flocking back. And, and that's what intrigues me. I mean, if, if Coles Corp., for example... You know, popular local shopping uh, operation. If if Coles were to say, okay, we're we're going to open our stores, you know, would you be going back? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I, I look at this and think, you know, if 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 I'm willing to go into some of the stuff that's open, whether it's the you know local hardware store, which I am, or the local grocery store. Or, or some of the other big box retailers that are open. I mean, if I'm willing to go to a Target or a Costco, drove by a Costco yesterday. I mean, the place with the, the parking lot was full. I mean, it, it looked like kind of you know Christmas shopping. It was absolutely full. And if I if I'm willing to go to the Costco, w- would I be willing if I if I needed something? Would I be willing to go to the Coles or the Macy's? Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I would, but that, that's kind of where my mindset is. But obviously a lot of these stores are thinking or concerned that a lot of people's mindsets isn't there. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, if they open Barnes & Noble back up, I would go in a heartbeat. I miss looking around and browsing the bargain table. Uh, Jeff, absolutely. When things open up, I am... Um, I am resuming my life. Jeff, I have no reservation about going into any store selling something I want, but if because of capacity limitations I need to wait outside in the rain to get in, I, I won't anymore. Um, well, well, right. I mean, I, And that's, again, one of the considerations, and that's one of the concerns that, that is out there for some businesses, that if you put huge limitations on the number of people that they can have in the stores, they're just going to make the business uh, decision not to go. Um, Jeff, I just ordered from Kohl's. I have to wait seven to ten days. If it was open, I would go after work, and I would have what I want um, now. Um, Jeff, I'm going right over to any department store that opens up, especially if they have a barber shop. Yeah, well, don't wait uh, too long for that. Jeff, I'm only doing curbside pickup for all my stuff now, and at least as far as I'm concerned, it's going to stay that way for the foreseeable future. And I I think, yeah, there's probably a lot of people that are there. Jeff, I work for an auto parts store, and our store has been open all along, but we have restrictions for only eight customers at a time, and we have shields up by the register. I deliver parts for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that you're going to see. I mean, I've gone into there's a hardware store that, that I go to, and and what they've done is they've erected plexiglass shields between you know you and the cashier, where normally there would just be that little counter. Well, well, now it's a plexiglass shield, and there's a space where you know you you put the money in. I think the credit card readers on the outside, but if you want to if you want to give 
if if you want to give them cash, you slide the cash through the little hole in the plexiglass shield, and you know they they slide your change back to you. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Jeff, I would go back instantly. I, I'm not worried one bit. Huh? I mean, I guess I don't know. I I um, I you know not worried one bit i i don't know but i I guess the question becomes how worried are you going to you know be jeff absolutely when things open up i am resuming my life okay let's talk to lisa in mequon lisa you're in wtmj hello hey jeff how you doing today i am well thank you i'm not going into the okay i am not going i i'm not ready yet i want to uh observe and see what's going to happen at the places that are opening first and are the states that are opening first also um until tests are very readily available to all of us i i think it's not smart to to uh, open up even in phases okay well let me ask you this lisa do you currently do you, do you go to places like costco or target or um you know pick and save or meyer or any of the other you know big big stores that are open now i do go to Sendix and metro market and the gas station mm-hmm. those are the three places and, i have been since our since we've safer since we're safer at home now tell me just what you're thinking because okay let, let's let's take metro mart which is you know one that's a kroger property you know you know big store do right. you think it's less risky going into Metro Mart than it would be going into, like, a Kohl's department store, if Kohl's were to open up? I do not think it's less risky at all. Um, I I have to get my essentials, for which is yeah. food and, you know, for my right. home. And uh, okay. I've taken walks outside. I feel much safer walking outside than mm-hmm. I do going into Metro Market. And I do wear a mask. And I'm happy to see that a lot more people are wearing masks now, lots and lots of people. And uh, I just think it's too risky. If I could also just add something that I think that when you have a person or you know a person who has died from this, then you might be a little more, oh, I'm getting a little teary. Okay. You might be a little more um, concerned than uh, if you don't, because it's not that close to home. Fair enough, Lisa. Thanks yeah. for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, I guess I, I, I mean, obviously, and, and there, there's probably an element that, that's true to that. If you, if you know somebody who's passed away from cancer, you're you're probably more attuned to you know issues re- related to that. And again, it, it's and this is there's not a right or wrong answer to this question. By the way, I mean it's a discussion about what what people are going to do because even if, even if Kohl's and a Kohl's department store opens up, that doesn't there, that doesn't mean that that for example Lisa has to go to Kohl's. I don't even shop. I don't know if she knows, even know if she shops at Kohl's, but you know she doesn't have to go there. And I think what the businesses are trying to figure out, and and at least what some of these big retailers are saying is, we we think that. E- even if we're allowed to open up, the, the foot traffic isn't going to be there. And, and she's absolutely right. There's a difference between you know, going into a grocery store to get you know, essentials versus, gee, I, I need to, I, I don't know, I, I need to get a new pair of blue jeans or something. And 
you know, for the situation of the blue jeans, you, you can even order them online and, and have them delivered. 855-616-1620. Dave in Waterford. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call today. Yes, sir. What do you think? You know, I'm a huge Kohl's fan. I love their deals, their discounts. I am excited to get back to Kohl's. Everything I'm wearing right now is Kohl's. However, <laughs> if they open if they opened up tomorrow, I'm uh, I'm not ready to to venture out in the public quite yet. You know, and I worked outside sales okay. and uh, a lot of traveling in southeastern Wisconsin. I've been cooped up in my house for the past six weeks. I- I'm excited for things to open up and get out there, but personally, I'm not ready to venture out. I just Go everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, let me ask you the same question I asked our, our last caller. I assume that you do go out to, you know, do grocery shopping and go to the gas station and things like that. Or is that correct? Yes, at most gas and food. Really, your bare essentials. Maybe the bank, the drive-through. If I need some money, um, right. you know, it's. It, I feel bad for all the bars and restaurants. Really, I do, because and a smaller mm-hmm. business, any business, really, how many businesses aren't going to recover from this? Oh, you know, a, a lot. I mean, no, th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And again, no, I mean, what were the estimates yesterday that there's a there's a survey out that if this goes on another month or another six weeks, that they estimate that, that, that maybe like 30, 35 percent of Wisconsin businesses aren't going to come back? Now, I, I don't know, you know, how accurate that, that ultimately is going to be. But again, there, there's no right or wrong answer on this. It's kind of, it's a test as to where your head is. And I understand, like I say, that there's, there's a difference between having to go to the grocery store and get food versus, gee, do I want to go browse in, in the local bookstore or something like that. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to um, Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, my thoughts are that if you've gone to a grocery store, you've probably been exposed to this virus. And if you're still uh, walking around vertically and healthy, you're okay. I don't understand why, you know, a grocery store or a Costco or whatever can be open, whereas a Kohl's or whatever has to be closed uh, because of the non-essential thing or whatever. If you want to buy a wallet, you can go to Kohl's and get a wallet or a purse or whatever. But my thoughts are that if you're out and about, and this is the only way you're going to beat the virus, is by people getting out and about, and the people that are, are healthy and going to beat it, beat it that way. If you're 90 years old, with a compromised immune system, well, then you're going to stay home. That's your decision. You should stay home. But if you're a average, normal guy, gal, working around, doing whatever, uh, I think you're okay getting out. I think, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, again, I, I, think, I think there's different comfort levels for, for everybody, and everybody's going to find those comfort levels. Now, by the way, I, I, I completely agree with one of the things you said, that if you have, if you have people who are in those targeted risk groups life as you know it has changed i mean i and that's just that's just kind of the reality yesterday i was referring they did a study in in new york city and they took the largest hospital as a hospital system where they had the 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 most covid admissions this is new york you know the epicenter and, and what they found is that almost everybody who had to be admitted to the hospital almost everybody not everybody but almost everybody had underlying health conditions, um, you know, high blood pressure, hypertension. It, typically, there was the age factor, and then, you know, hypertension, or they were obese, or they had 
diabetes that wasn't being managed extremely well. If you're in any of those risk categories, I mean, I, I don't know whether it's today or tomorrow or six months from now or a year from now. I, I think, you know, life life has changed dramatically because of this. But to your point, you know, I again, if you're somebody who is not in one of these risk groups and you're at some point in time, if, if you're already going to the grocery store and you're going to Target and you're going to Costco and you're going to all these various places, why why is it, you know, what, what about those places, okay, if you feel it's safe to go in there, that you don't necessarily feel it's safe to go into the, like the local florist store or the, the local stationery store or something like that, where candidly, you're probably going to run into a lot fewer people than you do, again, in one of the big box retailers. But there's no right or wrong answer to this. It's just it's how individual people feel. Let's talk to Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. Um, yeah, yes, I would go back to the stores. I'm not scared. Um, I want our country to be back to the way it was. That's the way we are. And a little side note, um, I already had coronavirus. I survived it. I feel guilty that there's a lot of people that are dying, and I recovered so quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But I will not be scared to go back to stores again. So, Brian, can I ask you this? How, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 52 years old. Okay, um, and uh, and so what what were your symptoms? I'm just curious because I I have to tell you I don't that's know anybody who's had COVID nineteen. I don't. Um, what, tell me your symptoms. Why I'm, that's why I'm glad you took my call so I could let people know to not to. All I didn't have no fever. Uh, the only thing I had was the the cough, this weird cough that I never had in my life, and um, the I lost my sense of smell. That's the only wow. thing I had. So I. Um, I um, got my test because I work. I actually work in a senior home, so I had to. I had to quarantine myself. I got tested and it was confirmed. And within three days, I felt better. Um, and uh, two mm-hmm. days later, um, they said I can actually. I'm not. It wasn't contagious no more. The, the health department called me, but I wanted to take another week off just to feel safe for myself. And I'm ready to mm-hmm. go back to work Monday. Did you uh, did you get have you gotten your sense of smell back? Yeah, right. Uh, uh, over okay. a week now, I'm, I'm it, it, okay. it's, everything is better. I'm, I'm surprised how fast I healed. Interesting. Th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, and I, I, again, I don't know anybody that's had COVID nineteen, and and so, uh, and you know, I'm sure that's that that's the case for some people. It's really, really bad. There's a lot of people who are, what's the phrase they use, like asymptomatic, which means that they, they don't even know that, that they've had it. But there's no question for other people, it, it's, it's a death sentence. So it's something that you can't fool around with. Interesting perspective. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I have been reluctant to devote a, a segment of the program to, to this question because I, I was afraid that the, the population, the number of people who respond might be too small. But in the last half hour of the program, we talking about something else. We had two calls, one from a caller who said that she had, had lost somebody um, due to, to COVID-19. Uh, the other caller we had right before the break was a guy who said he'd been diagnosed with it. Um, he he'd had, a, had a cough, 
and a, I think he said a little bit of a fever or something like that. And then you know they sent him home, and, and, and he recovered from it, and he's looking forward to going back to work on, on Monday. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I, I confess, I do not know anybody who's had COVID-19. I, I, I do not. Um, but I, I am curious. If, if you have been diagnosed with this, or you, you know somebody that has, I'd, I'd like to talk to you. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, as to as to what it was like, because it's it's different with with different people. Now, what are there? There's there's about five thousand or so positive tests in the state of Wisconsin. You you've had you know a number of, of fatalities as a result of that. In general, <clears throat> the fatalities involve people who had again underlying health conditions and, and things of, of the like. My guess is that there's a lot of people who were diagnosed with this. And then uh, maybe they were just walking around and they thought it was like the flu and it wasn't a big deal. Other people who, who might have had that. So 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think this does, this does remain a mystery for, for, for lots of people because you, you, see, you see the numbers that, that are out there. Um, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you know anybody or have you yourself? Been, been tested positive or, or, or been diagnosed with this. You know, again, most people that get tested do not test positive, and, and that's that's a, a very good thing. In some respects, this is, and hear me out. Let me finish the, the entire couple sentences. I understand this is not the flu. In some respects, it's like the flu to the extent that I think a number of people who get it are, are asymptomatic or aren't really very sick and, and they just get over it right away it's unlike the flu in that it is much more contagious and for people who are in the target especially in the target risk groups you get it and the, the chance of having really really bad things including death are, are greater than the flu so i mean that that's kind of it but i mean it's it is a virus but 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line but i am i am curious because like i say it's it's true i don't know anybody now I, i've said this before i have a couple very very close friends who are in the the targeted risk area because of well, one's one's a cancer survivor. Another has significant respiratory issues, and and it would be a bad thing if either of those people I'm thinking of, you know, got got this. And and I, I think for them, their their life is going to probably be different moving forward, at least until you get some sort of treatment that's effective or you get a vaccine. Okay, Steve in Waukesha. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How you doing? I am well. Have you had it, or do you know somebody who has? Our next-door neighbor has it. Um, he's got four children between 15 and 22 years old. He's a, he's a family practitioner, uh, great guy, and came out of his house last week uh, with his mask on, looking just normal, and just gave us a heads up and said, hey, before you hear from anyone else, I've been contracted with the virus, and we kept our distance at about 15 feet, maybe 20 feet, and had a, a kind of a Q&A session with him for 20 minutes, and and that was about it. So, you know, but we have three young children at our house, um, so we had right. some questions for him, and he was fantastic. 
Okay, so as far as you know, he's 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 doing fine. It's not like he's he he's one of those that's going to be able to to presumably the virus is going to run its course and, and he'll be fine. Big picture. Correct. He said he, he got it on a Wednesday. He felt the worst on a Thursday, which was aches, and then by Friday he was he was doing great. His the highest fever he ever got was ninety nine point five. Interesting. Interesting. No, thanks for the call, Steve. I appreciate it. See, I, I wonder. Well, here, here's an interesting text, Jeff. In January, I had the exact symptoms listed, every one of them. I'm a 56-year-old woman, took two weeks to feel back to normal. It was awful, but I got over it. I, I do, and I don't think there's any way of knowing, but for you know, a lot of people this flu season who, who got the flu you know, and, and had the fever and all these type of things, I wonder, and this is before they were doing widespread testing for, for COVID-19, I, I wonder how many people actually, see, my guess is the population, the number of people who've actually had this is probably a lot larger than, than we think because there's a lot of people who, you know, they presented with symptoms of flu and, you know, they were given like the Tamiflu or, or whatever and sent home and they got better, or a lot of people who just were never sick enough to go in and, and see a doctor. So, I, I mean, I wonder how many, and I don't know that there's any way that we're actually going to know that until they do, you know, widespread antibody testing if we're ever able to do that. But it, it is it is one of those things that, that's, that is out there it's something of course that you need to be you know aware of and i do think it's very very good and constructive i mean i think if if there is the next door neighbor or whatever who who has coronavirus i I think it's it's good to tell the neighbors and things like that that this is what we're going through there's no stigma in my opinion that's attached to it i mean you don't it's it's kind of like gee somebody you know contracted cancer or you know it's it's somebody got colon cancer well okay that's that it's not their fault that they got this it's just something that's out there but i think the general public has every right to know all right we're gonna take a quick break back with much more in just a minute this is jeff wagner wtmj jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty. that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line i i, I get texts from time to time and, and suggestions of people saying Look, you you got to understand that you have this this virus that's here, and if it hits a certain person, it it can kill them. And of course, that that's that that's what you see. I mean, and there's no question about that. And that it's it's irresponsible for us to even consider opening up this country until we have a cure for this. Now, to which I I always respond that that that's in my mind that that is impractical because. Your, the, the whole idea behind what we've been doing is to, again, level the curve. That is to stop the hospital systems from being overwhelmed by the, the disease. But the truth of the matter is people are going to get the disease. That's just that's the reality until they come up with a, an effective treatment, which is a ways off, or until they come up with, with a vaccine. That's just going to be the reality just like and even though again i know this isn't the flu but just like people get the flu every year and people die this is more fatal if you're in one of those risk groups and you get it so it's not the flu but i mean it's a virus people get viruses and then people end up dying as a result of that or getting really sick which is why you you want to make sure that you limit that as much as possible but you can't necessarily guarantee that the people aren't going to come down with this so one of the things that i mean people have been holding out hope for is let's get a vaccine 
Let, let's get a vaccine, and then you know people can protect themselves from it. Now, of course, the problem with that is that you know even if you have a vaccine, there's a, a certain percentage of the population that's out there who who won't get the vaccine. You know, it drives me crazy. I mean, I'm not one of these guys. I get the flu shot, you know, every, every year. But the, the hope has been that we're going to be able to develop a vaccine for coronavirus within the next 12 to 18 months. And the thinking is that once you're able to do that and, and get it into widespread use, you will substantially reduce the, the likelihood, the incidence of this, which is which is great. There's a couple new stories out there that, that I have, including, including some really, really smart people who are saying that this 12 to 18 month time frame that people are, are throwing around, we could have a vaccine in 12 to 18 months, is, is strikingly unrealistic. Um, for example, I'm looking at this one story, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, that's Anthony Fauci, you know, he, he said that we, we may be ready in 12 to 18 months, but, but a lot of other people are saying 18 months is a goal that's very, very difficult to achieve. The timeline would shatter all precedents for developing a new vaccine, which typically take many years. The fastest a vaccine has ever been developed was uh, for mumps, and that took four years. It took four years. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I'm intrigued by this because nobody wants to see, like, a treatment, or or I think we all would agree, if, if you would get an effective treatment, that would minimize the symptoms and, and the consequences. That would be a great start, and a vaccine is the ideal sort of thing. But if it's not realistic to have a, a vaccine in, in 12 to 18 months, and again, the, the standard is mumps. Mumps was four years. That was the quickest we were able to do it. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think it is realistic to develop a vaccine in the next year and a half are look into your crystal ball are we going to be able to do that and then i guess the question becomes if we're not all right what what does that mean for what does that mean for large gatherings if we're not able to develop a vaccine we're not able to do this does this mean that okay sporting events and and concerts and, and everything else is off the table until we do so 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I mean, I, I think we all hope, it, it, we all hope a, a year. We all hope less than a year. We all have the, these incredible, you know, I believe in medical science, and I'm impressed with the stuff that they're doing, and I understand that this is a priority. I guess I, I hadn't realized that maybe that 12 to 18 months is an overly optimistic estimate. Do you think we can do it? And if we can't, does this mean no large gatherings for for years? 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. A couple of things I've been reading lately suggest that all this talk about having a vaccine in a year to a year and a half may be overly optimistic. And I guess I hadn't realized that the quickest the vaccine for something had been developed, mumps, four years. It took four years to develop mumps, now a vaccine. Now, I understand 
we're it's 2021 you've got more people working on it you've got research advances but but is it realistic to expect a vaccine in a year or two year and a half and if we don't have one what is what is the world going to look like mike and franklin mike you're on wtmj good afternoon hey jeff how are you doing i'm very well thank you sir what do you think yep okay so i'm thinking we're at a minimum of a two to five year time frame i work in healthcare. um I'm a subject matter expert in personal protective equipment for the use of medical and emergency response. And okay. so I, we've been talking about this within healthcare for years. Of course, we were not prepared. We were not geared up for it. It was business as usual. And now that's why we have the PPE shortages and all the risk. Now, right. to turn this corner in my in mind, this is coming from Mike now. That will, in order to turn the economy back on and, and prevent an Armageddon to our financial system, is we got to get people back to work safely in their workspaces, out in public, out in the schools, and that is going to be by using and ramping up, you know, almost internationally, our availability of personal protective equipment. Train people how to use it. We're going to have to wear masks. We're going to have to wash hands, and we're going to have to do it as a society. And if we mm-hmm. do that. We're going to cut these cases down. We're going to cut all of our flus down, and we're going to be able to get through this period to allow the medical side to play catch up to this runaway pandemic. But, but your your no, what your concern, Mike, is that, that this idea of of a, of a year to a year and a half for a vaccine, you yeah. you think that that's unrealistic? It's just not going to happen to have some a vaccine every, that's quickly. From everything that is coming behind the scenes, high up in the healthcare field is that they realize these things, even with the light speed changes that we've seen in technology, it still takes time to actually understand all of the flow through and how it affects the human body. Right. It's not like a light switch. Right. There are tons right. of unintended consequences in virology. And so you have to go ahead and study those to make sure that you don't create another pandemic or disease or unintended consequences. We have, we're right. gonna, my, that, my thing is, oh, yeah, live, live, live with COVID. We'll have to live with COVID. And that means to live with COVID to survive, we've got to use PPE, and it's going to be distancing and, and public education all the way. That is going to be the key. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, and I think that, I mean, that, that's certainly one of the possibilities that's out there because you're, you're right. You, with, with, with the vaccines, you, as much as everybody wants one, you, you can't just rush it to the market because you want to make sure there's not unintended consequences. And to your point, plus the, the other issue is even if you develop something, you know, it, it's one thing to say, OK, we found something that, that works. Now you're going to say, OK, how, how do we get millions and millions and millions of doses that are out there? for for people to use i i do think that this is one of the realities that's out there and i don't disagree with you i think people are going to have to figure out how to how to live with with covid and i i do think you know one of the things we've all learned is again paying more attention to our surroundings and to like you said those hygiene issues i've said this before i i just i don't think for the rest of my life i'm going to go anywhere without this little bottle of hand sanitizer in in my pocket that i you know use after i come into contact with different stuff back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj So very glad to have you with us. 
All right. The, the, the economic impact in Wisconsin and across the country of the pandemic that we're currently going through, it, it's almost impossible to, to calculate. You know, in, in Wisconsin, well, I mean, the numbers, all the jobs in this country numerically that were created in the decade plus since the recession in 2008 and 2009, those jobs have all been gone. I mean, we've lost the number of jobs. So, you know, we're back to where we were as far as job numbers. We're back to where we were in 2008 and 2009. In Wisconsin, you've had, well, the most recent numbers I have, over 300,000, and that, by the way, is low, over 300,000 Wisconsin residents have filed for unemployment claims in the last month because their their employers are, are shutting down. They're be, and, and in some cases, like I say, some cases it's because the government order says you can't do business. In other cases, it's just because there's been a, a a complete drop off in economic activity or, or whatever. So, you know, you've had there's hundreds of thousands of Wisconsinites who are unemployed. And unfortunately, that, that's probably not going to change, you know, big picture for a while because it's going to take a while to get the economy going again. As a general rule, this this impact and there are exceptions, so I understand that, but as a general rule, this impact has been largely in the private sector, not exclusively, but largely in the private sector. If you look at, I mean, where the, the job cutbacks are coming and all those things, as it, it, a general rule, it's, it's, again, private businesses that have had to shut down. When it comes to public sector employees, the communities, the, whether it's state, local, whatever, they've done everything they possibly can as a general rule, to avoid laying off, furloughing employees, things of of the like. And so the number of people unemployed isn't it's it's disproportionate to the private sector thus far. I mean, I'm looking at a story out, out of Madison, and um, for example, the the school districts out there have decided that you know since this started, even though the school is in a session, they're they're paying all their employees their regular wages. And it's not just the teachers who are, are teaching online, but, you know, it's it's for other people whose duties are a lot less clear-cut, like the teaching aides and the security staff and the custodians and, you know, all sorts of other people whose jobs rely on, you know, being around schools. And, and the schools are, are now closed. But the school districts operating on public funding, have decided that they're going to continue paying their employees. And you've seen that, you know, local government after local government. That is starting to change because more and more local governments are now starting to, you know, announce, you know, furloughs and and various sort of layoffs, in part because, well, in some cases, you know, the the library, for example, isn't open, although I understand under the governor's order he's going to allow them to open for curbside service. But, for example, like the library isn't open. But the bigger problem is the fact that tax revenues aren't going to be coming in. See, this is, I mean, the you know, if you look at the public sector, 
the dollars and, and the public sector's ability to operate is based on the fact that you know people pay taxes. And I understand public sector employees, you know, they pay taxes. Sure, of, of course, they pay property tax as well. But you also have you know people in the private sector who are paying their taxes, and that taxes is those taxes are then used to provide government services. It, it's just it's kind of how it works. Well, the problem, of course, comes in when you have a huge chunk of people who are paying taxes, in this case, like people from the private sector, who aren't, aren't working anymore. So there, there's no payroll taxes that are, are being paid. Um, they're presumably going to be paying their property tax, assuming that they're able to keep their, you know, their homes. They're, they're not out buying things, so you, you don't have the revenue being generated by sales tax. I mean, there's just, there, there's going to be a huge slowdown when it comes to, uh, again, the ability of municipalities, the ability of counties, the ability of local governments to generate revenue. And that's going to force some tough choices. The two choices are really, until the economy gets back on its feet, the two choices are, do we need to start laying off government employees, or do we need to look at I don't know, trying to maybe increase the tax burden on the people that, that are still working and paying taxes. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, like I say, this this is going to be one of the big battles and big issues moving forward. A lot of the, lot of the stuff that they're doing on the federal level, because the federal government can print money, you know, we have incredible... You know, deficit spending. I mean, just just the idea that, and I, I get it. You know, we we've got to we've got to get money into the hands of people. So let's let's gin up the printing presses. You know, let's send out that money. Let's give people you know the six hundred dollars, the twelve hundred dollars, or whatever it is. Let's give them the the extra unemployment benefits because we need to help get people through this. And I respect it and I understand that. But local governments, state governments, don't have the ability just to turn on the printing presses and engage in deficit spending. What they have to figure out how to do is either increase their revenues or cut their expenses. And from the perspective of increasing revenues in the near future, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you do that until you get a large chunk of people back to work. Which means, all right, if you're not able to increase your revenues, that means you got to cut your expenses, and that means maybe you have to start looking at layoffs. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the public sector going to look like, at least in this in the near future? given the fact that at least it seems to me that major, major force sources of, of funding for the public sector are, if not going to dry up, they're going to be significantly reduced at least for a while. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The choice is increase taxes for everybody or spending cuts what should happen? We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I don't, I don't want to see anybody lose their jobs, and I don't want to see anybody have to be furloughed in an involuntary fashion and I, I don't want to see anybody have to like take pay cuts but the reality is 
and it's, and it's especially been uh, true in the private sector thus far, that's, that's what's happened. You, you have businesses that have closed. You have employees that have been laid off. You've got people, you know, over 300,000 people filing unemployment claims. And I know some of some of you, you know, don't don't have your checks at, even as of yet. You know, you're still waiting for that. There's still a backlog. They're trying to do the best that they can to, to do that. So I, I understand that that is out there. But this has what's been going on thus far, as far as the cutbacks, so far it's been, in my opinion, and I think the numbers bear that out, disproportionately true of the private sector. The public sector so far has, has figured out ways, and, and, and that's good. Look, at the Madison School District, you know, they're, they're keeping everybody on full salary, okay, even though there's a lot of people that aren't, aren't, aren't doing their jobs. I mean, they're, they're school security aides. Well, okay, you're, you're, you're not in those classrooms anymore. I mean, you're, but they're, they're trying to keep them on full salary, and I understand why you're, you're doing that. I mean, I'm not rooting against that. But the bottom line is, given the fact that you are going to have fewer and fewer tax dollars coming in, given the fact that people aren't running to stores and buying things or bars and restaurants are closed, you're not, generate, you're not generating sales tax, so that's going to be there. Given the fact that you, know, you have people who've taken huge hits to their income, you know, if you move forward, you're going to see that the income tax, you know, it, it's not going to be there. Um, my guess is, again, property values, big picture, are going to start to decline. So is this going to be the next shoe that drops, and do local governments – County governments, state governments, municipalities have to start making what is their plan, their, their plan B, which is, all right, looking forward, what are we going to do here? And candidly, I mean, I think the answer is, is yeah, a lot of text on this. Um, let's see, Jeff, great topic. We've been talking about this for weeks at home. Any public worker not essential should have been laid off from the start of the shutdown. We need spending cuts. Now, I remember somebody asked Governor Evers a week or two ago about, hey, given the fact that you have, again, the, the layoffs, the furloughs, etc., impl- you know, impacting private sector much more significantly than public sector, you know, should you be looking at, at doing layoffs and stuff in state government? And Governor Evers got very indignant and said, well, you know, the, the state government people, they're, they're all these public employees are doing essential work, and it's insulting to ask them to, to take less money. Um, well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I always thought that was a little bit tone deaf, and it's not a question of suggesting that the, the people who are working for the government aren't doing important work. It's not suggesting that they're, they're not doing significant work, and it's not suggesting that they're just this, this dead weight. That's not the implication at all. But there's a lot of people in the private sector who are in that same situation where, I mean, some businesses are making furloughs or other businesses are saying, just so we don't have to lay off people or furlough people, what we're going to do is we're going to ask everybody, depending on what your income level is, to take a 20% cut in pay or a 15% cut in pay or a 10% cut in pay because our business model has been completely and totally disrupted and we need to figure out a way to um, you know, we need to figure out a way to, to keep the money coming in so that we can keep the doors open. Well, I think the reality is municipalities, they need to start thinking like this as well because I, I don't, at some point in time, there's going to be a revenue crunch. Now, maybe it hasn't hit right now because, okay, again, just the way the tax dollars are generated and things like that. But it seems to me that that's, that's coming. David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Really quickly, so 
um, I don't see the public sector. Um, I don't see them going to be doing anything with cutbacks because if you look at all the school referendums that are just passed and some of that was pushed, obviously, through this pandemic, um, you know, people are going to have their taxes rise, even if there was cutbacks. They're still going to rise just because of all the referendums that were just passed, Milwaukee being one of them, Mecklen being another. Racine, it looks like they they just eked out a, a billion dollars, which is ridiculous yep. in Racine. Um, and I suspect that um, if they don't do cutbacks, I can't see how these uh, communities can function, and they may have to uh, go bankrupt. I mean, that's a possibility if they decide not to do, um, uh, you know, cutbacks. Because look at what Detroit did. Detroit had to declare bankruptcy because they simply just did not have enough revenue for for the uh, public employees that were still left in the city. Yeah, no, David, thanks for the call. Well, right, and that's the concern. And then, of course, you know, you add to that the fact that with all the – employee pension costs that, that are out there that these commitments i mean that's one of the other ticking time bombs as well you know I, I think if you look at a lot of communities you say okay well even in the best of times even if you were continuing to have this go go growth you know where, where's the money going to come from to come cover some of the uh to cover some of the um the, the pension obligations but now it's a situation of that now we're not in those go go times i'm just saying this this is this is the train coming the other way. It, it's not the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the train coming the, the other way. And I think it's got to be a conversation that officials start to have about, uh, again, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying fire a bunch of public employees or lay a bunch of employees off. I, I am saying it's a discussion we have to start having because the, the budgetary expectations did not anticipate in Wisconsin, for example, that you were going to have... 300,000 people suddenly lose their job and jobs in the space of, of a month. He didn't anticipate that all of a sudden spending and all these different things that we rely on sales taxes for were going to essentially, you know, dry up. You know, we, we generate revenue for, you know, in, in Milwaukee from, you know, hotel and, and bar taxes. Okay, all the hotels are essentially shut down. Stephen in Hartford. Stephen, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. I, sure. with, the, with the education system, you know, you have a lot of, of the teachers are doing remote education. So I think the teachers are, are you aren't going to be able to do anything with that at least till the end of the year. So it would be a normal school year. You know, the people that are physically at the buildings, they're like, you probably have a skeleton crew to take care of it. But uh, and municipalities, I think, you know, they got to, I'm pretty sure they are looking at um, making some cuts. But I guess us as citizens got to be willing to accept some l- lesser services too in the meantime yeah. because. You're, you're going to have to have a trade-off. Yeah, no, I mean, th- th- thanks to Steve. No, that, that's, right, th- that's the issue. And, again, th- this is not – this conversation that we're having, uh, it, I want people to understand, it's not a bash public employee situation at all. It's just uh, uh, the sort of this, this reality that's out there, given the fact that, again, public employee salaries are, are paid for 
by by the taxpayers, which includes the public employees. Of course, I, I understand that. But this is, you know, it, it's I mean, it's drying up, substantial drying up. And you're exactly right, Stephen. There's going to have to be a trade off of, you know, what what services can we do without? And maybe that means you can't have City Hall open five days a week. Maybe it means you have to start looking at, at furloughing some of, of the employees. It's not a desirable sort of thing, but it, it's part of the reality unless, you know, unless the we're, we're willing to just kind of like blow all this revenue stuff and say, okay, let's impose massive tax increases to try to make up for this lost revenue. But who are you going to impose the massive tax increases? Are you you can increase the sales tax two percent, but if people aren't going and buying stuff in the first place, it doesn't it doesn't generate anything because because that's part of the problem as well. If people don't have disposable income to spend, doesn't matter what the sales tax is, they're not spending that money. It's it's something that we need to start thinking about. And, and again, candidly, I, I think everybody, when we view these government shutdowns and when we view shutdowns and things like that, people tend to look at it from the perspective of what, what does, and I get it, what does it do for me? And um, for, for some people, what we're going through right now is, is an inconvenience from a business perspective. Let's, let's put aside the health issue. It's an inconvenience. For other people, it's, it's financial life and death. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It is the 2 o'clock hour of the Friday program. Thanks for joining me. Hey, this, this weekend, and I, I know with Safer at Home and the fact that so many things are closed that more and more of us are turning to our entertainment either, again, through the, the broadcast area, lots of people listening to the radio, of course, and lots of people watching TV and streaming services. There, There is a show, a movie that premieres on HBO tomorrow night that I, I have not seen it. I have just read about it. I cannot wait to watch it because it's one of these real-life cases, but but actually it plays out more than you might expect. Um, the story, and it stars um, Hugh Jackman, and it stars Allison Janney, who is, of course, she was best known as the, the character of the press secretary on, on the West Wing. The movie is called Bad Education, and it, it's a true story. It, it, it Hugh Jackman character is a guy who was an administrator in a school district, and the Allison Janney character is is his assistant. And this is true. It goes back to um, the the early, I think it was 2004 when this happened. They were administrators in, in at a school district, in a school district system in Long Island. And what happened was they were stealing the place blind. They ripped off the taxpayers to the tune of, over eleven million dollars, and and the movie is about how how they did it. But see, the interesting thing about this to me, because it, it sort of has parallels with you know stuff that that happened here. The interesting thing is what uh, school district officials early on started to realize that that something was funny, that the numbers weren't adding up. And they started to focus on the the guy who was the, really the mastermind behind this. They started to focus on on his assistant, uh, because what she was doing was a little bit more obvious. And so they started to identify the fact that hey, that this woman is ripping us off. 
So they, they decide. Now, what do you normally do when you find somebody that, that's ripping you off? Well, you, you come in, you fire them, you prosecute them, you do all those sort of things. Well, the Hugh Jackman character, the administrator, who is even a bigger crook, he goes to the school officials and he says, well, look, we, we can't do this. Because don't, don't you understand, our school is, is just, it's number four in the country. Our high school has been rated number four in the country. Our rate of Ivy League acceptances is phenomenal. Um, property values in our community are soaring compared to other areas because people are paying premiums to move into our area so they can send the kids to our school. So the, the guy is making this argument. He says, well, and here's what's going to happen. If we blow the whistle on this, you know, and if this whole thing gets public, well, what's going to end up happening is it's going to be this huge scandal, and it's going to affect the kids, and it's going to affect the school system, and it's going to affect the property values. And as a result of that, you, you had all these school administrators who just decided to stick their head in the sand, their heads in the sand. It's kind of this ostrich thing. And meanwhile, the, the thefts and the scandal and the stuff continued because they were just afraid, gee, if we do the right thing and we blow the whistle on this and we stop it, you know, what, what's going to happen? Now, and, and ultimately, the whole thing ends up falling apart. And I, again, I haven't seen the movie, but that's the story, and it's based on, you know, it's based on a true situation. But it, it's amazing to me how often that happens. And one of the reasons I'm particularly intrigued by that is, is we had locally a story like that that played out a couple years ago. I am a graduate of Nicolay High School in Glendale. For years and years and years, Nicolay High School, you will remember, it was it was thought of typically used to be ranked as one of the best high schools in the state i don't know where its ranking is now but back when i went to school there it was in, it was nationally renowned for its math department and you had all these kids that were coming out of Nicolay that were getting into the Ivy League schools, and, and Nicolay was getting all these huge grants you know, for the success of its math department. And the guy that ran the math department, you will remember, was a guy named David Johnson. And what happened is, as it turns out, he had been molesting male students for years and years. And it's pretty apparent that if school officials didn't know that this was going on, they should have known that, that it, was, it was going on. This wasn't necessarily a, a secret, but they, they chose to, by and large, look the other way. And I, I will tell you, um, because I, I've talked to people subsequent to this, I mean, I think students knew this stuff was going on, but the general thinking was, oh, we, we can't blow the whistle because look at, at how well the school is doing. And, and look, we get all this money, and we win all these math awards, and we do all this type of stuff, and, and all these kids that come out of these programs, they get admitted to these fancy colleges. And, and if we blow the whistle on this guy, well, all, that's going to create a scandal, and all this thing, all this is going to end. So in my opinion, at least, you had school officials who, to their eternal shame, and school board members who essentially looked the other way. Yeah, well, we've got these reports. Well, let's, let's counsel him. Let's tell him, don't fool around with the kids. Okay, really? And, and that's precisely what they did. But just like what happened in this school district that's about the, the subject of the HBO movie, where they, they we don't look, we don't wanna we don't wanna rock the boat, we're doing really great, the school is doing really well, we don't want to create this scandal. I, I think, in my opinion at least, 
officials back then, now that's not the same as now, but that's back then, intentionally looked the other way because they, they didn't want to create the problem. And I think students, to an extent, perhaps looked the other way as well. Well, gee, you know, we, we understand that something's funny going on here, but, you know, it's, you know, we want to get into Harvard or we want to get into Yale or, or whatever. So there are these different parallels that are out there, and it makes me wonder how prevalent this is, whether it's embezzlement or, or whatever. And, of course, the way that the story with the professor, the teacher at Nicolay ended him, he, after these reports became public, he ended up killing himself. Um, you know, end of story, end of case, but not necessarily the end of the, the scandal. So you just wonder how often this type of stuff goes on. But when I was, you know, reading about this particular story and, and this embezzlement and the justification and the fact that people ended up looking the other way, I, I just I kind of remembered the scandal that was involving you know my my alma mater. Now hopefully this is a different time and and stuff that maybe you'd look the other way for in 1975. You you wouldn't look that way in in 2020. You at least hope not. But if you're looking for what I think is going to be some interesting entertainment and you want to watch what I'm going to be watching Saturday night on HBO, the show is called Bad Education. It's a movie and it premieres. All right, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Live sporting events. Well, it's been a while, but now the NFL draft is here. It's live. It's unlike any draft you've ever seen before. Join WTMJ and 94.5 ESPN for the biggest and best 2020 NFL draft coverage on the radio. Hear from Packers legend Mark Tauscher, voice of the green and gold Wayne Larrabee, and many more starting again 6 o'clock this evening, rounds 2 and 3. The 2020 NFL draft show presented by Professional Construction, Inc., Palermo's Pizza, White Claw, and Wisconsin On Demand. You know, I was, uh, I, I, I was watching the show on ESPN last night because... I'm kind of a draft geek. I'm a sports geek. I had a couple of the um, the, the projected the the picks that people made for who was going to go for who in the draft, and I'm crossing off the different names and looking at who's left before the Packers make their surprising move, and then I was alternating and listening to some of our coverage. We did a great job. ESPN did a great job as well. I mean, the, the TV show, given the fact that they, they didn't have everybody in the same room, but they had everybody still distancing, I, I thought it really, by and large, came off without a hitch. I mean, there there were a couple situations where maybe, and maybe I'm just sensitive to this because it's the industry I work in, I could tell that you know somebody missed a particular cue or something like that. But in general, I thought it, they did just an absolutely outstanding job, just like I think our coverage did an absolutely outstanding job. And rounds two and three tonight, our coverage starts at 6 o'clock. Okay, yesterday during the program, we, we discussed whether or not in an effort to try to fight coronavirus, we should start emptying out the prisons. Um, if, if you look at the, the latest outbreak in, in Wisconsin, it's really been, okay, the meatpacking plant in, in Brown County, and it's been the increased testing leading to more positive results at the Milwaukee County um, Jail, the House of Correction. They have, uh, I, I think, 100 positive tests, 103 or something like that, and, and they've separated those inmates. There's like 650 people that are in the facility. They've separated, you know, the 100 that have tested positive. And, you know, you also have it, prison guards and employees who work at the prison. You know, they're, they've been exposed to this, so some have contracted it, others are in quarantine. That's just kind of the nature of it. And the question is, should you be releasing people, you know, willy-nilly? My answer is 
is is no. I mean, if you've got a situation where you've got somebody who's in an extreme health situation, who you know, okay, m- maybe if you can have the appropriate circumstances, okay, maybe. But the bottom line of all this is they, they have to have somewhere to go, anyways. And and where is that? Where is that going to be? So I don't think that's an answer. I think the answer is better precautions. You know, in the facility, understanding the jails. It's are, are going to be like you know senior living facilities. It, it's just tough. You got lots of people living in close quarters. Well, okay, that was my take. There's a new study out. The ACLU. Not only does the ACLU suggest that we should start essentially opening the jailhouse doors and letting people out, the ACLU is saying we should stop arresting people. Here's what they say. They say, look, we, we've got these new studies and. If you accept the premise that people who are in jails, they're in these confined quarters, they're, they're likelier to you know, contract this, and then you've got some of the workers who are likely then to be exposed of it, this is what they say. Reducing arrests by 50% could save 60,000 lives nationwide. That's interesting where they get the number. While limiting arrests to the most serious crimes and doubling the number of jail releases could save more than 100,000 lives. Now, I, I kind of question where that number comes from as well. But, but regardless, their idea is let's stop making arrests. Let's only arrest people for the most serious crimes. Now, again, there, there's no definition of, of what the most serious crime is. So let's assume crimes of violence, gun crimes, things like that would be included. But most, by the use the phrase most serious crimes, that means the vast majority of crimes, you're, you're, not going to, you're not going to arrest people. You're not going to bring them into the system at all. Car theft. Oh, no, we're, we're not going to arrest people for that. Um, you, you name it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We've only got a couple minutes before the bottom of the hour, but I am legitimately curious. All right. Should we, in an effort to not expose people, it's not just the prisoners, but it's also it would be like prison guards and the people that, that work in the facilities, is the answer to that to stop arresting people except for the most serious cases? So like I say, hey, you walk out, some guy's driving off with your car, they catch him, police say, oh, no, we're, we're just going to let him go, we're not going to arrest him. And by not arrest them, it means you're not even taking them to the system at all because then they'd have to spend some time, you know, behind bars waiting for bail and stuff. The answer is we'll solve crimes, but we won't make arrests except for the most serious of offenses. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Presumably all sorts of types of assault, you'd look the other way. Car thefts, you, you'd look the other way. Maybe at some point in time you'd go back and scoop them up, but for the foreseeable future, we're not going to make arrests. What do you think about that? I'll be honest with you, I think it's nuts. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It was a September to remember in 2019 for the Milwaukee Brewers. In the middle of a stretch where they won 18 of 20 games, they were in St. Louis with a chance to catch the Cardinals for the NL Central Crown. Join us next Wednesday, April 29th, for our next Brewers Classic. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, down one run with the bases loaded. 
Ryan Braun at the plate. Well, you might remember how it turns out. Let me give you a hint. It's good for the Brewers. Don't miss our next Brewers Classic. It is sponsored by Biofuels Association, Chevrolet, West Bend Insurance, Habish Habish, Rotier, and Toyota. All right, the ACLU out with this new study that says if we stop arresting people except for the most serious of crimes, we could save 60,000 lives nationwide. Now, it's interesting where they're going to get this because, uh, you know, that would... How many people have lost their lives attributed to COVID-19 already? Like 50,000? So they're they're saying this would double that? But, you know, so I I question the numbers. But I understand the premise. The basic premise is if we let people stay out on the streets, we don't bring them in, we don't expose them to people, other people who might be incarcerated, who have coronavirus, or if we arrest people, hey, we've caught these car thieves, they're running the streets, we bring them into the jail, maybe they're they're positive for COVID-19, they infect other people, and of course it's not just the inmates, it's the prison guards, etc., who then go home. Um, So the idea is, let's just look the other way. Let's not arrest people for crimes. um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, why can't the message be, stop committing crimes so you don't get COVID-19 in jail, rather than go ahead and keep committing your crimes against honest people and we'll protect your health by not arresting you? Yeah, that, that is kind of an, an interesting notion. And, and what, are we, what are we saying? And again, I'm using the example of car theft because that would clearly be a, a non-serious, they, they're saying, okay, we only want to lock people up for the most serious crimes. Car theft would, fit, would clearly fit into that category. So you have people who are running around the streets, stealing cars willy-nilly. The police, they just kind of let it go. They, they turn the, the, the other cheek so that you have one victim after another. Because one of the things that we know is, especially when it comes to a lot of crimes, the, the people are going to continue to be out there. You're going to keep stealing cars, for example, in my instance. They're going to keep stealing cars until they finally get caught and get stopped. And what do you have to do to get them stopped? Well, you have to at least arrest them and take them in and put them in prison. Jeff, nope, nope, heck nope. Um, look, uh, if people are going to COVID, they can easily get it on the outside as well, and we don't need our officers and the public to be placed in danger from additional crime and the possible disease they bring with them. We have all been in lockdown for six weeks. If you go out and steal cars or commit crimes, we should, you know, we should lock people down as well. I guess this is it. You you do look, there's some groups out there that have their agendas. And I understand there's this one group uh, that says, all right, we want to reduce the prison population. We want to turn people loose. We want to get people out of, of jail. That That's our that's our goal. And, and that's that that's fine as far as it goes. And you can, like I say, you can make an argument that for people who are at the end of their sentences or are in particularly high-risk categories, maybe you can make an argument that you could come up with, if there's a plan to release them from prison under certain some sort of controlled situation, but typically when you release people from jail or prison, they go to a halfway house or something like that anyways. So, But if you have a plan, okay, maybe that's, I'm open to it, but the idea to stop arresting people who commit crimes, it's flat-out crazy. This is Jeff Wagner.